Good evening, my name is Ryan Scherzinger, Senior Outreach Associate for APA. Uh, welcome to Tuesdays at APA. An after work lecture series APA holds one Tuesday a month, uh, whereby practicing planners, uh, researchers, and professionals from allied fields discuss innovative ideas or present their latest projects. Tonight I'm pleased to introduce two speakers who will discuss plans for the site of the old Walter Reed Army Medical Center here in Washington, D.C. Uh, Martin Combal became the Walter Reed Local Redevelopment Authority Director for the D.C. Office of the Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development in February 2012. She manages the base realignment and closure process and proposed redevelopment of the former Walter Reed site. Martin Kamal has extensive knowledge and experience with acquisitions through friendly sales, foreclosure tax, excuse me, foreclosures, tax foreclosures, and eminent domain, negotiating disposition agreements, as well as local and federal affordable housing programs. Susanna Ariso is senior urban designer at Perkins and Will. She has 17 years of experience in the architecture field with a focus on planning and urban design. She was the lead designer for the Walter Reed Reuse Plan and Small Area Plan, which was recognized by APA's National Capital Area Chapter. She's worked on a number of large-scale, high-profile, institutional, federal, and mixed-use projects sites cited along the District uh, Monumental Corps. She also recently served on the Item Writing Task Force for AICP's upcoming Advanced Specialty Certification for Urban Design. So we thank her for that service. Uh, before we start, I ask that you please hold all questions until the end of the presentation. And now please join me in welcoming tonight's speakers, Susanna Ariso and Martin Combo. Good evening, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, today we're going to talk about the Walter Reed Reuse Plan as an urban design case study. The contents will be, uh, we'll go through uh, uh, an introduction that Martin is going to present to you. Uh, then the planning analysis, uh, where we'll go about the existing conditions and we'll go over the site context of the area. Then uh, we'll, go, we'll talk about the redevelopment framework. What are we doing? Uh, what is the plan about? And the urban design principles that will serve as guideline uh, to guide the development, the future development at Walter Reed. And then a quick conclusion. And now I will uh, leave you with uh, Martine. Um, <laughs> good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm Martine Combal. I'm the Walter Reed Local Redevelopment Authority Director in the Deputy Mayor's Office for Planning and Economic Development. Um, and all I do is Walter Reed. So um, <laughs> it, it's a fairly large project. Um, it has a number of complexities. And I, I'm just curious before we kind of get into this, what I want to do is give you more of a procedural overview um, where we are. Susanna and the Perkins and Will team did a huge amount of work um, on a series of plans that we're going to go over tonight. Um, but I'm curious, has anyone ever been to Walter Reed when it was active? If so, can you raise your hands? Okay, great. Does anyone live near Walter Reed? Okay. <laughs> just, just curious. Um, so with, uh, with BRAC, the Base Realignment and Closure Act, the last round that took place was 2005. And uh, the military focused on particular bases that they, they felt um, could be positioned quickly, hopefully did not have too many environmental concerns. Um, in previous rounds, they uh, some of the properties that were disposed 
are actually still in process of being of dis being disposed because of the large amount of environmental contamination. You have unexploded ordinances, uh, other uh, very serious hazards. So in the 2005 round, that was really the distinction that was made, was to try to focus on those types of military installations that could hopefully be redeveloped and repurposed significantly quicker. Um, so the the BRAC commission nominated Walter Reed, and uh, the Walter Reed was uh, included in that closure. The base actually closed formally in September 2011, and has been essentially unoccupied since that time. There's a, an existing caretaker staff on site. Um, just to give you a point of reference, where Walter Reed is, it's located in the Ward Four. Um, portion of the district, about a mile and a half south of Silver Spring, Maryland, and it's about a half a mile from the Tacoma Metro. So there are um, some advantages given that location, but in terms of transportation, it's important to realize that it's not on a metro line, and that does pose some uh, significant challenges. As you can see, Walter Reed... Um, Actually, in the plan for the district, 13th Street runs directly through the site and actually runs directly through the original hospital that was constructed in 1908. And there's, um, there's some very interesting topography that we're going to review with you tonight. Um, even though the plan of Walter Reed at certain periods of times actually tried to be much more axial um, and sort of disregard some of the, the topography, but um, it, as it was developed, there are sort of series of various construction types that have come to characterize this particular site. Um, the neighborhoods around Walter Reed, you have um, Shepherd Park here towards the north, closer to Maryland. You have Tacoma, which uh, is the closest to, which is the closest red line metro station or metro station. You have Georgia Avenue running on the east side. You have Brightwood towards the south, 16th Street, and Rock Creek Park, and it's right across from Rock Creek Park. Um, and interestingly enough, there there's a significant amount of wildlife that you do see on site. There are a number of deers, foxes, um, and other animals. The acreage for what we're considering Walter Reed is actually 110 acres in, um, in total, um, and that includes uh, Building 18, which is technically outside of the boundary, and Building 18 uh, was used as additional housing. It was purchased, I think, in the 80s, um, and in our reuse plan, we're actually looking at redeveloping a fire station on this portion of the site. So the most of what we're going to be talking about um, tonight has to do with the 66.57 acres here. Um, the State Department, interestingly enough, through the iterations um, that have taken place with Walter Reed. State Department was interested initially, I think about 18 acres, and then General Services was interested in a number of acres uh, towards the north. That boundary after 
uh, year or so of planning efforts actually changed, and the State Department was interested in significantly amount a large, significantly larger amount of land, um, which is this 43.53 acres. And the State Department's interested in constructing a foreign mission center, which is very similar to the International Chancery Center that you have at Van Ness. So it's more or less an enclave of embassies and chanceries. Um, planning. So what what did we do in this effort? And it, it's interesting to note that the reuse plan, um, which is required under the Base Realignment and Closure Act process, uh, essentially is a redevelopment plan, and it follows a lot of the same planning efforts that are required under D.C.'s small area plan. So what we did was we did these two planning processes concurrently. We held a number of community meetings and talked about issues that were important to both plans. Um, and the reuse plan was completed before the small area plan, and that helped to lay the foundation, I think, and inform some of the land use designations that came out of the small area plan. Um, just a quick overview of who's involved in the process. Uh, this is a very large project and um, is rather complicated. And because of that, there's a huge amount of people that have been involved in this project. Um, just today, I was at a meeting. I met someone who worked at a law firm who um, had worked with Mayor Williams when the 2005 background was first announced. So um, <laughs> there are many people involved. And we worked very closely with Perkins and Will over, I think, the last three years. Um, and a lot of that has culminated in a series of meetings with the U.S. Army, who were uh, interested in purchasing the site from the Department of Defense, who's essentially coordinating the BRAC process, D.C. Council, number of district agencies, the State Historic Preservation Officer has been heavily involved. There are a number of historic elements that we'll walk you through tonight. Of course, the Office of Planning, our District Department of Environment, um, DDOT is incredibly important in figuring out the transportation for the site. And then in terms of community interest, we formed a local redevelopment authority committee early on in the process, and that was required as part of the reuse planning effort. So that committee was made up of a num number of citizens, or about 10 people, um, 10 citizen members in involved in that group, as well as a number of uh, district agency heads. Um, we have since been working with the advisory neighborhood commissioners in the area, um, and we have formed a community advisory group to kind of carry on the legacy of the LRA committee that was formed under uh, the reuse planning efforts to kind of carry us through our implementation process. And um, part of the reason I, we had to start on time is I have to leave for a community advisory group meeting after this. Um, so I, I will try to stick around for a few minutes if anyone has questions afterwards. Um, as part of the reuse planning efforts, I'll talk a little bit about this later, we had to solicit notice of interest users, which essentially is um, nonprofits that provide a public benefit or um, homeless assistance providers. And then um, our reuse plan had to be submitted to the US Department of HUD, and HUD actually has to approve that reuse plan. 
Um, and then there's, of course, the State Department, who we've been working with closely. Um, I talked a fair amount about community engagement, and this is just to sort of reiterate the amount of community engagement that we've done. We've done a significant uh, number of community meetings just for the reuse plan alone. I think we had close to 25 meetings um, to formulate that plan. Um, for the small area plan, I think we had about four or five community meetings in addition to that. Um, and we have been trying to reach out to the community through listservs, online notices, through our website, emails, and so forth to make sure that people are up to date on where we are with the project. And as we get into the project plan, um, the goals for the site are fairly clear. Um, I think as you'll see through the images and the maps, um, we obviously want to integrate the site with the existing community. So Walter Reed has been walled off for a series of decades. For a period of time, it was actually open and people could walk through. Um, and then the last 10, 15 years, we've had security efforts that have really shut that facility off. Um, and of course, along the Georgia Avenue corridor, we want to provide a mix of uses that will activate that, um, that portion of the site and that will create jobs and revenue opportunities for the city. Um, and as I mentioned, activating the site is key. So whether that's temporary uses or permanent uses, um, we want to make sure that it is a, a very viable and vibrant place. So with that, I'm going to hand that off to Susanna. Thank you. OK. So let's talk about the site. So starting with um, uh, transportation, Martin talked a little bit about the transportation corridors. So it's located right between the very busy corridors of 16th Street and Georgia Avenue, which is the major connector between downtown DC and Silver Spring, just a mile and a half up here. And then the Tacoma Metro Station is uh, right there. It looks close by, but not that close. Um, these are uh, five-minute uh, walking radii, and uh, the walk from the metro station is about a 15-minute walk, and for those who have done it, they say it's not a very interesting walk. So not likely to be considered uh, a site that is close to metro. However, there are uh, upcoming plans from DC to put in a streetcar in place, and uh, hopefully that streetcar uh, could have a, a stop right on the Walter Reed site. And now let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the buildings, uh, the character of the site, and what's around the site as well um, in the context. Right here, we are right in the middle of the site, looking towards the heart of the site. It's uh, Building 1, the original hospital and the first building built on the Walter Reed campus uh, back in 1908. And then right behind it, to the north side, there's the uh, Building 2, the hospital built in the 70s in brutalist-style uh, architecture of the 60s and 70s. Then the northern boundary of the site is Fern Street, and that's the low-scale character right here uh, across the street. It's uh, uh, duplexes and single-family homes. Uh, this is a view looking down uh, south towards Georgia Avenue. 
and the character around there. So on our uh, side of Georgia Avenue, on the side, there's a lot of open space and an opportunity to build up some frontage on Georgia Avenue. And then the existing character on Georgia Avenue right now, well, it's kind of a mix of places. You have uh, townhomes on the larger block of the site, across the larger block of the site. And then there's a mix of uh, three to six story buildings. Uh, here's a, a look, mainly looking towards the Great Lawn. That is the grand open space of the campus. It's got, um, and, th and this is the southern boundary of the site. It's Aspen Street. And Aspen Street has an inconsistent, erratic character of a mixture of buildings. Some are multifamily, some are single family homes. And then most of those homes either have their backs or their sides facing to the street. <laughs> and this is another view of the, of the Great Lawn. We are also looking at the industrial uh, cluster. Uh, most of these buildings are deemed historic. And this is the Great Lawn. It's beautiful. It's great rolling hills and one of the favorite spaces of the campus that hopefully once it's opened, uh, everybody will be able to enjoy. Now, looking a little bit at the history, first, there was nothing. This is a topographical map back of the late 1800s, and um, it shows uh, a, a Cameron Creek. All that was there uh, was uh, a, a Cameron Creek that got buried as soon as the development started in the early 1900s. And there was 7th Street Road, <laughs> now known as Georgia Avenue. So these are all the buildings, these are the existing buildings. And all of the orange buildings are the ones that are eligible elements for the National Register of Historic Places. Now what that means is that any building that is older than 50 years is eligible to go in the register. However, in the plan, and, uh, and also after conversations with uh, the SHPO, um, you know, we actually uh, were able to select which buildings have uh, intrinsic architectural value and which ones have not been substantially modified over the years um, to, to decide which ones uh, should be retained. Now, a special thing about Walter Reed is that the landscape is also deemed historic. So the landscape and main drive, this is undulating main drive right here, it's iconic and its form is to be preserved. So let's talk a little bit about building one. The original hospital, first building built on the campus back in 1908. So that's its original footprint before it got added on. And this is the north facade, which is quite beautiful, and it has been hidden from view for four decades thanks to the big building too, built right to the north of it. And this is a view looking north towards 13th Street. This was back in the 40s. And uh, you can see the, uh, I guess, campus feel that Walter Reed used to have at the backyard of building one. Uh, the interior spaces of, of Building 1 are also deemed historic. Uh, President Eisenhower uh, died here in 1969 when this was still an operating hospital. 
And this is uh, the spaces like the reception hall are also deemed historic. Uh, that's the pretty neat west stair. And existing buildings. The existing buildings in Walter Reed, they total about 4 million square feet. And the, uh, the reuse plan is saving, is reusing about 2.5 million uh, square feet of those buildings. And this is the... Um, Martin, if you can talk about the homeless assistance providers and public benefit conveyances. Yep. Um, so as I mentioned before, we're going to talk about this notice of interest user process, and this is a requirement under BRAC. Um, so we needed to make sure and make an effort to accommodate um, not only homeless assistance providers, but what is also called public benefit conveyance users. Um, and all of these are nonprofits that serve various aspects of the community. Um, the Washington Yu Yang um, Charter School is planning to co-locate with Latin American Bilingual Montessori School for a, a very interesting international um, education campus. Yu Yang, as some of you may know, has exploded really since it uh, came on as a charter school just a few years ago and they are looking for additional space, specifically high school space. Um, so th this is an opportunity for them to expand. Um, to the right here, we have Building 17, which is historic. And I should mention both of these buildings are historic, Building 11 and Building 17. And so Others Might Eat is uh, looking to redevelop that particular property for senior veteran housing. Um, and then we have uh, Building 14, which will accommodate two uh, homeless assistance providers, one Transitional Housing Corporation, um, which is planning to use part of the space's office space, and then um, Help USA, which will be developing up to 75 units of uh, veteran, ho formerly homeless housing. So um, most of the housing is concentrated here, um, towards the southern portion of the site. We also looked at positioning um, this historic building, Building 7, um, where Howard University is looking to develop in both 7 and 6 uh, ambulatory care center. So Howard has um, their hospital further down Georgia Avenue. There is a definite need for medical services further up Georgia Avenue, and this is it, a way for Howard to expand um, further up the corridor. And then, as I mentioned in one of the earlier slides, uh, Building 18, which sits outside of the facility, we're looking at relocating Engine Company 22, um, which is further down Georgia Avenue and needs a new facility. So um, that would be in Building 18. And I think I moved to the next slide. So. Thank you. That's okay. okay. Um, now, continuing with the planning analysis, so we studied the uh, things like the existing uh, building analysis, and it's uh, mostly, uh, the buildings are arranged in mostly an orthogonal alignment, except for some uh, buildings that are uh, placed according to the topography down in the southern end of the site. The existing street pattern, it's also um, mostly uh, orthogonal with the iconic undulating uh, main drive cutting across it. 
the existing open space. There's the six-acre historic uh, great lawn. Um, this is the ceremonial front yard in front of Building 11. Uh, building 11 uh, is also built in the uh, Georgian Revival architectural style of um, Building 1. And then these two are what um, you know, the Rius Plantin likes to call the green breathers, which are some existing uh, pockets with a healthy, mature tree cover that are quite beautiful and the community is very much attached to. So in our analysis, we concluded that there were five existing typologies across the site, uh, pretty much arranged in five horizontal bands, um, starting along the top, the small scale, the small blocks, uh, then there's the uh, larger blocks. Then we get to the heart of the site where building one is, and that's very actual and very formal, very academic. And then there's the open space, park-like uh, quality of the great lawn that actually, the open space actually continues and, connect, and connecting visually to, uh, to Rock Creek Park. And then along Aspen Street, there's the scattered part with the small buildings that are placed according to the topography. So what do we do with that, the redevelopment framework? So this is where we talk about design. So again, we started design, taking in the goals from the community uh, of integrating the site with the community, uh, providing a mix of uses to activate the site day and night, which in turn will create jobs and revenue for DC. So what about placemaking? So what do we want the future Walter Reed site, all 66 and a half acres to be? How do we envision that? So these are the things we talked about. So is this going to be a, an eco-district, a sustainability showcase? Uh, it could be a center for innovation uh, and excellence, uh, taking opportunity of building want and its institutional character. Uh, it could be a destination place, uh, cultural, institutional. There could be retail, anything destination, a one-stop shop. It could be a, a great park. Uh, maybe that works both as an amenity and, and a utility, as in the case of uh, bioretention stormwater management parks. Uh, in the end, it could be a place with filled with people day and night, a place that would invigorate the Georgia Avenue corridor. So the vision for starting over the design goes back to the existing typologies that we found. We have the, so we're thinking about uh, providing in the plan, or organizing the plan in five character bands, with the top being the small scale, neighborhood scale, residential character. This is the city, urban, maximum density opportunity blocks. This is the uh, American institutional with a lot of existing and historic buildings to be reused. And then there's the uh, pastoral, open, lyrical parkland, and the, uh, right along the bottom, there's a perimeter scale with intense topographical, bar uh, topographical variety. And it's also very permeable, an area that can be very open uh, for pedestrians walking in. So these are some sketches from the drawing board, uh, just to show the exploratory research. So from the vision, we moved on to, this is like the evolution of design. So, we moved on from the vision and then start thinking about rights of way. How will the city grow into this piece of land that has never been a city before or has never 
you know, been part of the city grid before. So we thought about starting in by, well, extending the rights of way and also making these rights of way wide so that they can accommodate multimodal transportation, a lot of natural light in between the buildings, uh, wide sidewalks that can have overflow retail and, uh, uh, and, fr- and front yards and a lot of green area, rain gardens to carry the water along the curbside of the sidewalks. So we started thinking that we wanted those wide rights of way. And that's why they are all shown, you know, we thought of them as green because we want to think of the right of way as the places where you have streets and to think of streets as places, you know, places where people want to be at, not just the circulation. And then uh, we thought about building reuse. So before I showed you all the buildings that were eligible for the National Historic, uh, for the National Register of Historic Places, and then these are the buildings that actually made the cut to be reused for the plan. So with that comes uh, building one, uh, the bu- building 11, the one that's going to become the school, the industrial district right here, uh, the former uh, general residences, and these are the buildings uh, uh, to be taken over by uh, Howard University. And then continuing the evolution of design. So as the design evolved, we started seeing uh, developable parcels. So we took those rights of way and we extended that city grid into the site. So extending 12th Street, extending 13th Street. We thought about where should we, where should we keep the open spaces? Well, how about we start keeping the open spaces where the mature trees are? Um, and then another large open space you know, should be deemed on the 13th Street Vista, you know, and, and frame that uh, uh, historic facade of Building 1 that has been hidden for, for decades. And we ended up with these developable uh, parcel areas. And, and then we came up with the elements of the plan. So we have a site. We have the existing buildings that are going to be reused. There's a city grid that got extended from the city, uh, from the rest of the city network that's integrated with open space. The proposed buildings come in, and all of that is following the initial premise that we want to enhance the existing site character. And then we have a, a, a realistic plan with uh, actual buildings with realistic footprints and densities. However, these, these buildings are not, these building footprints are not meant to be set in stone. We always explain it to the community like that. Uh, this was part of uh, a, a marketing feasibility study was done to assess what was realistic to build on the site. And that came up with a total of 3.1 million square feet. And then we wanted to test that plan with realistic uh, building heights and footprints and uses that could happen on the site to serve as a guideline for future development and continue developing this design into a master plan later on. And this is the proposed uh, land use, uh, the proposed comprehensive plan land use designations. This was prepared by the Office of Planning. And currently, if you look at the DC comprehensive plan, Walter Reed is zoned as federal. That would be the same color as the Department of State over here. So, so based on the, the study uh, that we did for the reuse plan and the small area plans, the Office of Planning came up with these land use uh, designations that 
later on are gonna uh, guide the zoning map and the zoning designations. So as you can see, there's a lot of striping in this map. And the reason for that is because uh, the plan wants to encourage flexibility of development in the future. The, the buildings that I showed you before are not set in stone, and the, the plan wants to encourage uh, the uh, uh, continuing design development in this plan. So the areas that are, that are not striped or mixed use are mainly the historic open space, the Great Lawn, the Building 11, which is set to become a school, and then there's the, the residential areas. We want to respect the small scale that's existing to the north of the site with a small residential development. And same thing with part of the Aspen Street area. Uh, encourage that uh, uh, small to medium scale residential development. And the rest of it is mixed use. And that means uh, a combination of retail, office uses, institutional, uh, anchor institutional area in the central core, campus-like. And then in this industrial zone, we, we have something new that is called the uh, creative, creative, creative uses, which uh, we're, still, we're, uh, we're still looking for um, an interesting live-work scenario uh, for uh, a segment of the population that could do something interesting with this uh, industrial uh, cluster down here. And then that's what the building use looks in the in buildings. So in the denser urban blocks, it's all mixed use. That means uh, ground floor retail and with a combination of offices and residential. There's the residential townhomes along the top. The pink over here is the institutional core. Uh, this is where Howard University would be coming, and we're looking for that uh, innovative anchor to take over building one. Uh, the creative and art space that we have yet to find, what's that going to be? And then in the corner, uh, this would be a, a ground floor retail with uh, uh, residential on top. And then this would be a residential overlooking Rock Creek Park. And then the big block over here, we see of an ideal destination for, uh, for big box retail. The urban design principles. So we develop them at a site-wide and at a sub-area level. So let's start with the site-wide. First principle, enhance the existing site character. Uh, second, retain building one as the core. That's uh, the front facade of building one, and that is the back facade of building one right here. And we are hoping that we can reclaim the vista that used to be there. Integrate the city. See, the, this graphic is trying to create this effect, the merging effect of the city grid coming in. And you know, the principle is about let the city fabric permeate the site via a network of open spaces and complete streets. Streets that have all modes of transportation, are pedestrian friendly, and, and also and lined up with uh, buildings that are uh, sustainable. And then create vibrant multi-model circulation corridors with the different characters of the site and wanting to look at streets as places. There also comes the, the different characters that is envisioned for the different areas of the street. So here in the pink, there's the Georgia Avenue corridor, which is mixed use, the combination of uh, offices, residential, and retail. 
The orange over here is the pulse of the site. That's where the town center would be, the destination retail would be, a lot of people uh, and, and a lot of goings on there. As it gets blue, it's the quieter residential area. Green is the park-like area. Of course, there is main drive. Uh, it's green, very park-line, takes you to Rock Creek Park. And then there's Aspen Street, which goes from mixed-use retail and residential to a quieter residential uh, zone. Preserve historic uh, elements. It's another basic urban design principle for this plan. And integrate sustainable strategies. Walter Reed is set to become one of the five eco-districts in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, NCPC, the National Capital Planning Commission, has been collaborating with the Portland Sustainability Institute in identifying, developing, and approving eco-districts in, in the Washington, D.C. area. So Portland has been the, uh, the pilot in this process. And the city of Portland already has, I believe, five or seven eco-districts that have been approved uh, by, uh, by governmental agencies. And NCPC is trying to um, uh, start that movement uh, here in Washington, D.C. For instance, a better known uh, eco-district is the Southwest Eco-District uh, uh, proposal that uh, NCPC has been putting forth. And Walter Reed is another one. And it's also a perfect site for becoming an eco-district because we're starting from scratch. And we can build a system of integrated uh, sustainable strategies having to do with the infrastructure, with the uh, planning of the spaces, and the high-performance buildings all integrated together in a district that will uh, uh, grow together and in the future serve as an example and a showcase for neighborhoods to come. Uh, among the sustainable goals are to be uh, net zero energy by 2030, net positive energy by 2040. Uh, these are the aspirational goals. Uh, go for 100% renewable energy. Uh, have, of course, high performance efficiency buildings. Uh, use a central utility plant uh, system to provide uh, energy. Uh, using tri mainly tri-generation. Uh, zero site runoff, all the water would be uh, harvested and reused. 100% uh, gray water use by 2020, uh, hopefully black water treatment by 2030, apply low impact development storm, storm water strategies, and, uh, and uh, have 100% storm and gray water reuse by 2050. These are Walter Reed's lofty goals, but we believe are achievable. The uh, Again, with the integrate sustainable strategies. So one thing to think about the stormwater management is the flow of Cameron Creek, which was once buried. Well, maybe the plant can resurrect the flow of the creek. I mean, after all, it's there in the topography. And you know that could be uh, uh, reinstated by carrying the water from rain garden to rain garden to bioretention systems. And this is the lowest point of the site with a great opportunity of having uh, uh, bioretention stormwater management park that serves both as a utility and amenity. And this is the, these are the strategies that can be applied throughout the site, but we thought that cutting a section through the denser part of the site would be a good way of pointing out to the uh, specific strategies that we would be applying. So um, starting with uh, uh, cisterns, they can be placed on a building-by-building -building basis. Uh, photovoltaics on top of the buildings would actually uh, 
couple the power supplied by the tri-generation plant in the future. The tri-generation plant has this uh, nice basement space where it could fit. And that's the basement space that would be left over by the demolition of building two. That's the big mammoth brutalist style building that we're hoping will go away. And then there's the, uh, the opportunity here for the big box destination retail with residential on top, with uh, green roofs and skylighting, allowing a lot of natural light to come into that retail. Uh, reuse the existing parking garage. Uh, there is also uh, two levels of a parking garage uh, that can be reused there. Uh, there's also space in these existing basements for water treatment and storage. Uh, the rain gardens would be uh, easy, easily installed throughout the site to carry the stormwater. The wide rights of way, allowing uh, streets that are filled with uh, daylighting. Transit-oriented development. We're hoping that DC's potential streetcar network can have a stop right here on Walter Reed. Uh, green roofs and low-impact development stormwater management. Uh, multimodal streets with dedicated bi uh, bicycle lanes, car sharing programs. Native plantings, you name it. Probably most of you know most of these strategies, and we want all of them here. <laughs> oh, and, and visual of the rain gardens. And this is a lovely example of a bioretention stormwater management park. You know, it's capturing the water, and it's a park, and people love being there. And urban agriculture gardens, they are, um, there's designated spots at the site that are suitable for community gardens. Urban design principles by sub-area. So the sub-areas are organized, again, by the uh, five-character bands that we defined before. And so we provided a set of guidelines for individually for the Fern Street sub-area, town center sub-area, the institutional core, Cameron Glen. This is where um, the existing, the existing name for this is the Great Lawn, and the plan renamed it to uh, Cameron Glen in honor of Cameron Creek, and Aspen Street. So in the Fern Street sub-area, we want to, right here, maintain the uh, existing low-scale residential character by placing rows of townhomes across the street from the existing homes. And then in the town center, there is the big destination retail opportunity and the largest block. All the retail would be visible and accessible at grade. That's by taking the big box retail, you sink it halfway down, and you get the necessary height for retail while at the same time having, having access from the street. And that would have residential buildings above. And also, in the case where we have townhomes across the street, the buildings can step back to minimize the appearance of height and be sensitive to the context. The town there are two major open spaces in the town center sub-area, and they are the uh, town center per se, which is a square facing Georgia Avenue. It's lined up by retail on the ground floor, and the open space is framed by uh, you know, plus minus five-story buildings uh, with residential stories above. And then there's the 13th Street Park, which is a promenade with the reclaimed 13th Street Vista uh, with the restored uh, view to the Building 1 facade. 
the institutional core. This is where we celebrate the historic legacy of Walter Reed. We want to maintain the existing formal academic setting with historic buildings and green campus-like areas. This is the opportunity to attract uh, corporate, academic, institutional, or innovative anchor of something to building one. And it also wants to encourage a healing open space with the proximity uh, to Cameron Glen in the spirit of Walter Reed being a place of healing. Cameron Glen is the largest open space on the site covering six acres of rolling hills, wooded groves, and open lawn. It's quite beautiful. Then there's the, uh, this area over here in between the historic buildings could be a potential gateway to a cultural heritage trail that could mark historic spots along the site. There's also the opportunity to open up. We didn't talk much about Building 14, but that's a building that was built, I believe, in the 70s or 80s, hasn't been deemed to have any intrinsic architectural value, and, uh, and it could be redeveloped and actually opened up to have a green connection that, you know, having the Cameron Glen connecting to the uh, green areas on the Department of State site and furthermore enforcing that connection to Rock Creek Park. And the open space can be activated with uh, special programs and spaces. So the Great Lawn doesn't have to stay the way it is. It can actually be designed and it can be activated with programs, fun programs. Then there's the Aspen Street sub-area. It, it's, it would have a mix of residential, institutional, and creative uses. This right here would be the creative and arts area with a potential for unique uses. Uh, there are buildings that create frontage at Georgia Avenue and 16th Street. And this is also a very permeable area with a lot of open spaces that pedestrians can walk through. And it also has the opportunity for placing uh, urban agriculture gardens. And this is a vignette or an abstract view of what the creative and art space uh, could feel like. It has, uh, it's an open, uh, uh, could be an open gallery space, an open market space, depending on the use that's going to happen there, having the benefit of a backdrop of a historic building. And that historic building, by the way, used to be the, well, is still the boiler plant. But this is what it used to look like with great palladium windows, clear story. Once the, once that boiling plant gets decommissioned and we get to use the interior space, it could be uh, quite grand. Um, Georgia Avenue frontage. It's not exactly a sub-area, however, it deems to have a set of guidelines that apply to each sub-area. So what we want to do is have a mix of building mass with open space, those open spaces, they are green breather. They are intervals that break up the masses and offer uh, uh, a small, intimate green park, also facing Georgia Avenue. And there would be a mix of uses to enliven, to enliven the Georgia Avenue corridor, and most of the buildings would be ground floor retail with uh, residential or office above. Conclusion. It's going to be quick. So this is uh, a view looking south. This is Georgia Avenue. That is 13th Street. That is 13th Street being eaten up by Building 2. 
And then that is what 13th Street could become, terminating on beautiful historic building one. And then uh, that would be uh, Georgia Avenue with its mix of building fronts and open spaces, uh, the Cameron Glen, uh, the mix of low-scale and more intense-scale uh, buildings, and then the buildings on the corners of Georgia Avenue and 16th Street, and, uh, and that's the plan. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, Thank you, Susanna Martin. Uh, we have, now have time for questions. If you could just show hands. I was thinking uh, for this site, probably it's very more required to use Georgia Avenue's site, but I remember the 16th Street has very good bus service from Silver Spring to downtown. So how are you going to serve this street, this site? With, uh, are you going to propose additional bus service, or how are you going to do it? And another way, it's a pretty minor one, I'm, but I'm not sure that, uh, that the south side, a little retail, I'm very disheartened. So many people are saying active use retail and residential on the top, and retail empty for five years. So I was thinking, I'm really not sure that that south side, the small retail will really work, or recently I see more active use of ground floor, not necessarily retail. So I was thinking that kind of approach might be better. Thank you. Um, well, I'll start with, uh, I think, the transportation question first. And it's important to note that uh, the, um, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority did operate a K-1 bus line that ran directly from the Tacoma Metro Station and actually had a loop through the Walter Reed site that facilitated um, the 5,000 or so workers that actually worked at Walter Reed when it was fully operational. Um, so uh, in conjunction with DDOT, we've had some conversations with WMATA about um, expanding or re um, reactivating the K-1 bus line that would give folks a, a faster connection to the Tacoma Metro stop. Um, I, I do walk from, regularly from the Tacoma Metro stop to the site, and it, it's about a 10-minute walk. So it's not a terrible walk. It's just it's a walk down um, residential streets. So if you're looking to you know activate um, folks in, I guess, energizing them as they walk through the corridor to be excited about retail that's coming, um, you have to get through a whole host of single-family homes first. So um, that that is a challenge, but bus is definitely a, a focus uh, for providing mass transit. In terms of retail, um, we've tried to provide, I think, a fair amount of flexibility in the reuse plan and the small area plan to allow for a mix of institutional uses and commercial uses. Um, and ultimately, that's going to depend on the market absorption of the site and whether or not you can find viable retailers, which we do believe that there are opportunities along Georgia Avenue there. Other questions? Hi. It looks like you guys have done a lot of work, and it really looks nice. Looking forward to seeing it. My question has to do with the other part of the site, which seems to me, if that is not integrated into all the work that you do, 
um, could really be a detriment to the whole area. So I'm wondering, do you have any idea? Can you talk for a minute about the State Department has planned? Are they going to concrete over the entire thing? What What are they thinking about? That that's a critical piece, I'd say, to the redevelopment of the site because we we have two users. Um, one is a large federal user that is, uh, interestingly enough, looking at bringing in foreign um, governments into the site. So there, there's a question of design uh, compatibility with what's happening on our portion of the site that it, I think will be, frankly, up in the air for a period of time until they um, lock in those exact foreign missions that want to go to the site. Um, but we have had a number of conversations with State Department. We do talk with them regularly. Um, they are, because their process is different, they're at a different point in the planning stage. Uh, they are doing an environmental impact statement, and they had done, I think, a series of scoping me meetings last year. Um, and I believe there should be another meeting coming up at some point this fall where, where they'll um, share their preferred option for the site, um, but they they do have a challenge with topography similar to our portion of the site, um, but also they have a number of historic buildings too that uh, hopefully can be adaptively reused. This is just a follow-on. Um, the grid connectivity restoration that you're talking about really is dependent on the State Department not blocking off those streets, even if there's a heightened security on the plots themselves? Have they talked about whether or not those streets will connect through, even if they're not sure how they're going to use the site? Sure. Um, one thing, well, first of all, we, unfortunately, we cannot control what you're doing. However, we can make some suggestions. So in terms of the connectivity, um, and Martin, please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that they... Um, they have uh, considered or agreed to have this open east-west connection for pedestrian traffic. Uh, not, not public vehicles, but just uh, for just pedestrians. That's all I know. <laughs> Yeah, I, the connection piece is a big question, and um, I, I think the folks at the the State Department are sort of grappling with the design of using. Um, we have Dahlia Street that Susanna was pointing to. That's an east-west access. That, given our town center layout, if if it just dead ends, that that could be a problem. Um, but. Uh, they are looking at, uh, I think, keeping 14th Street open, and I think their their goal is to have vehicular traffic through the site, although it would be limited to certain access points. So it may not be that cars could drive down Dahlia per se, but they could come in um, off of Alaska and 14th Street. But they, when we've met with them, that has changed um, somewhat, I think, each time we meet with them as they go through their, their planning iterations. In the regard, you know, at their present site, excuse me, at their present site in Van Ness, you can take Van Ness with cars right through it, mm -hmm. and I can't, and 16th Street and Georgia Avenue are every bit as important as Wisconsin Avenue and Reno Road, so I think you got a good case with existing sites. Say, do it here, yeah. you can do it there. Thank you. Um, Bill.
building two is it is the big building well that's obviously the problem child of this plan will this plan work with a big derelict building in the middle of it as you get activity underway in the near term with all the reuse on the border well i think um there even though there's existing infrastructure in the site um, a lot of the infrastructure was first installed in the early 1900s so there um from our perspective, it's almost like a greenfield development. You have you pretty much have to start over with the infrastructure. That being said, I think in the reuse plan and the small area plan, it's anticipated that building two would come down, and that would be one of the first buildings to come down. Um, and that that's a careful activity that would need to take place because there are single-family homes directly across the street. Um, and we would want to mitigate any dust, noise, vibration that would come from that. Then let me follow up. How do you finance that? Um, well, that's, I guess, a good segue to what we haven't talked about here in the presentation, but uh, our office did issue a request for qualifications and a request for proposals for a master developer for the site. So we, we are looking at that. Um, the, the other piece that's required under BRAC in order to have the site transfer to the District of Columbia, um, that has to happen through an economic development conveyance application. And in, I guess, short terms, that's essentially a land residual model. You have to take your revenues and your costs, which would include your infrastructure costs, and net out what that what that value would be. And, and that's where we start with our negotiations with the Army. So um, there, there will be extensive valuations on the site. Uh, uh, the question was sort of asked for me of what's going to pay for the demolition of uh, Building 2. But I'm just wondering, um, I'm trying to get a sense of whose redevelopment is going to actually happen first. Because if yours happens first, it'll create facts on the ground which will uh, influence the State Department or vice versa. So do you just have a sense of which of these is on the faster track? Track. That that might be a loaded question because I'm going to say we're ahead. <laughs> but um, I I think to to a certain extent that's true. Um, the the State Department has had to go through this environmental impact statement. They are still negotiating with the Army the transfer of the State Department lands between those agencies, even though it's a federal to federal transfer. Um, so they're. There's some other complications, I think, um, with other military installations across the globe that are included in that conversation, which, frankly, is why it's delayed, I think, some of uh, that actual transfer. Um, but we, we're anticipating that we would be moving first, um, but there has to be a serious amount of coordination, not only on the infrastructure, because we have one central utility plant on site that services the entire facility. We have a chiller plant that services the entire facility. The water lines are all integrated. You can't just shut them off at certain points. Um, and that doesn't even include conversations about you know sharing the sidewalk and sort of other basic elements um, that we've had some initial conversations with them about. So it's, um, I, I think the district is leading 
uh, in the planning efforts, but it needs to happen concurrently on both sides. And that's going to fill our hour, so I'm going to cut it off there, and Susanna might be willing to stick around to answer a few more questions, but I know Martine has to get away to a meeting. Uh, but anyway, if you could help me join me in thanking, thanking them for speaking tonight. Thanks very much.